Hi, I'm Libby. And I'm Brittany. And this is the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. Start the creepiest treasure hunt of their life. Let's get into this straight away because we have such interesting topics to get into today, and I'm very excited. Today we are talking about revenge porn. Now, this might pop up in your head as something you're familiar with, something you may have heard, um, or not register at all, right? Like, we all have different levels of familiarity with revenge porn, but today Brittany and I are going to dig into what this actually means and what this looks like for people, and I'll tell you... Um, As sexual assault advocates, we had kind of a baseline understanding of what revenge porn is and what it might look like. But as we really dug into the research of this, there was a lot that we learned and we're very excited to share it with you. Yeah, much like some other topics of ours have been, this was a rabbit hole that I went way, way down into. And so it started off just looking into revenge porn and then revenge porn kind of became the gateway to a whole complete type of sexual abuse, which is now being called image-based sexual abuse. Um, And so we're going to talk a little bit about image-based sexual abuse as a whole, but mostly today's episode will just be about revenge porn. And um, first of all, I do want to discuss a little bit the term revenge porn and the issues that many advocates have about that term. Um, And I wish that there was a different way to talk about this type of image-based sexual abuse. Um, Because so there's two things wrong with revenge porn. There's the word revenge Mm -hmm. and then there's the word porn. (laughs) Right. And those like a double whammy. Yeah. Double whammy. The whole, the whole, both words is the issue. Mm -hmm. Um, So revenge implies that the victim deserved it and that the perpetrator in these situations are retaliating against something that was done to them, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is problematic and it encourages victim blame. Absolutely. When you think of the word revenge, you think of an element of justice, like you have to get justice or some something to turn the tables back to what is equal and fair. And that is just not the case when we see revenge porn at all. Right. And I think that in, in the mind of some perpetrators, they are in their minds getting some kind of justice. Um, but it's still not you okay. All, you all should see Brittany's face right now. It is like squinched up like, mm. <laughs> I could tell that didn't feel good coming out. That didn't. (laughs) No, no. And it's like, it's all in their, in their mind, you know, like from anybody else's perspective, just breaking up with somebody would not uh, be something that requires justice, you know, in quotes, (laughs) like people should be allowed to break up with whoever they want um, without fear of retaliation. But so the next term is porn. And the, the problem with the word porn is that it implies that the victim was an active participant in the creation of the media. Um, 
and also that the image or the media contains nudity or sexual acts. And oftentimes the media of the victim, um, the victim may not have known that that picture was being taken or that that video was being recorded. So they're not a willing participant in the creation of the media. Sometimes it's a picture or video of them being sexually assaulted. Um, sometimes the media doesn't actually portray nudity or sexual acts at all. Right. So that's right. the term revenge porn. Um, and I struggle with it so much because I don't think it conveys clearly what this actually is. You know, when you describe all of the pieces of this, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't fit a hundred percent because the reality of what revenge porn is, is it's images or videos taken during a relationship or in an intimate moment that are then used as blackmail or then used as threats or even violence against Mm -hmm. a person in order to gain that power and control piece without any consent of their partner. And when you hear revenge porn, that doesn't exactly, it just doesn't add up in the same way. Yeah, it implies both consent and justice to a certain degree. Right. And I think that really like the best small description or best term to use for it instead of revenge porn might be image-based sexual abuse in the context of intimate relationships which is still a mouthful and see this is hard as somebody who does prevention work and somebody who tends to be a bit strategic it's hard I think we see this all in a lot of uh movements around social justice pieces is the first label isn't the best label it doesn't fit the best or the common term doesn't feel like it really captures it but then at the same time as preventionists we kind of have to go off of that term because if we were to completely switch all of a sudden and do Brittany and I talked about this on the phone earlier today if we were to just switch this and put that in the title um what how did you say it Brittany image-based sexual abuse in the context of intimate relationships. Yes. So if that were the title of this podcast, then maybe anyone looking to learn more about what they know as revenge porn wouldn't find the information, right? Oh, mm-hmm. such a pickle. Yeah. Labels are so important and they have so much power. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now that we've talked a little bit about the term revenge porn and that is kind of a part of this larger image-based sexual abuse um, type of violence. Um, I'm going to talk about the, the elements of revenge porn. And I'm sorry, I'm going to keep referring to it as revenge porn today. I don't know how else that we can, I don't know. How else do you think that we should refer to it, Libby? I don't know. And that's why I I said that thing about the strategy, because I don't know if we should be referring to it as something different, because the people that need the information about revenge porn, they may know it as that title. So for the purposes of this podcast, we will use almost exclusively revenge porn, and we will be thinking about how to create larger scale around the label of this, (laughs) because I don't think that's done in a day but if any of you have suggestions 
let us know. But for now, revenge porn it is. Okay, moving forward with revenge porn. So there's kind of some steps that have to happen usually for revenge porn. So it happens, like I said, in the context of an intimate partner relationship, and that can be either like a committed dating relationship. It could be people flirting, um, maybe not in a, in a committed relationship, um, but some kind of like dating or sexual relationship of some kind. Um, so somehow during this period of time, the perpetrator obtains explicit media of the victim, or they can Photoshop images to make it look like the victim. Sometimes the victim consents to the capturing of this media. And by media, I mean photo or video or even audio. Audio, um, I guess it's not really included in the term images, um, but it can also be used as well. Um, so sometimes the victim consents, sometimes they don't. Like, for example, if somebody, um, you know, is recording an intimate sexual act or something and the victim doesn't know that they're recording. Um, then the perpetrator threatens to or does share the media with others without the victim's consent. And so the sharing of the media can be to an immediate social or family circle. It could be to complete strangers online. It could be to the entire school. Um, we've heard of that stuff happening. So the important thing is that the perpetrator threatens to do that or they actually do do that without the victim's consent. Um, the media is oftentimes posted on an online revenge porn website, sometimes with identifying information about the victim. Um, and so sometimes what will happen is the perpetrator will include their first and last name. They might even include the city that they live in. Sometimes they even post their address, their contact information, their social media links. Um, sometimes they make it kind of like a, a treasure hunt for the people that are looking at this online. And so they're like, <laughs> That is the most depressing, <laughs> terrible treasure hunt I can ever possibly think of. I mean, I like their creativity, sure, but that is... <laughs> yeah, it's like geocaching for stalkers. <laughs> Perfect. Geocaching for stalkers. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And so then in that situation, they'll either just post the picture with no information, but maybe like a clue that's in the picture that people can track down. I mean, oftentimes just the person's face is enough for a reverse image search. And then people find out their information. That is so twisted. That is so twisted. And I have not heard of that before. Like I've heard of the posting. I have heard of all of these other elements, but the idea that there are people out there that are just waiting for images to, to surface so they can track down the person that is in them like that is twisted yeah it is like who is, is out really there sad. doing that I understand because I've seen and heard of a lot of perpetrators of domestic violence and sexual assault like I understand the maybe not understand like not excuse it but I can see perpetrators posting explicit images of past partners in a way to hurt them Yep, got it. Not a surprise. Totally get that. Totally see it. However, 
This is like a whole new realm of people who are sitting behind their computers just waiting for one of those perpetrators to post a video and then start the creepiest treasure hunt of their life. Yes, that is exactly what it is. I know it's hard to wrap your brain. And these, and these are like a lot, a lot of people participate in this stuff a lot. I mean, these websites get a lot of internet traffic. And when these websites are shut down, people, you know, these creepy people, like they talk about it on um, other online forums. Like, how can we get this back up and running? Like they, it's a whole huge community and it's very interactive. That makes, that makes a lot of sense to me because of uh, some reading and research that I've done around child uh, sexual abuse material mm-hmm. um, and child pornography and another term for it is that that's, that's the way that goes is one site gets shut down and then everyone comes together and another one just pops up immediately in its place. So that I can, I can definitely see. So for, in this case, are these sites that are like the quote unquote treasure hunting sites? I don't know. What, what do, what are they even called? Like, <laughs> So the one that's big right now is called Anon Images. Okay. It used to be called Anon Me. Um, There have been some other ones throughout the history of this (laughs) um, that have been shut down in other countries. Um, According to what research has been done on Anon Images, it is run out of Russia. Hmm. And And so... is it easily accessible or is this a dark web type deal or? I don't know. I did not actually go to the website. I so appreciate that you did not. I guess you just didn't, you didn't realize how curious I would be about, <laughs> about this. If you, about if this you want to hunt. go, go ahead. No, no, I will not be visiting the, the team. Nope. Not happening. However, that is so fascinating to me. Um, I, like I said, I just wasn't aware of that element. What I hear more frequently is just the boots on the ground, domestic violence, sexual assault work, where it's like, I'm going to post this to social media, or I'm going to email it to your family or airdrop it to your coworkers, whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So this, this whole website thing is wild to me. Yeah. And it's, the history of this is interesting because this actually didn't really start with the internet. Um, I forget what the name of the magazine was, but it was kind of like, I think it was Hustler actually back like decades and decades ago, people like readers of Hustler. I think it was, again, I'm not entirely sure, but I think it was Hustler. They could submit reader images to be featured in the magazine. And so people would submit the pictures of, you know, usually women that they had been with. And then somehow these women found out and they were like, Hey, I did not consent to having my intimate pictures put in this magazine. Unbelievable. And they were published. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, as we'll talk about, you know, in a few minutes, um, like the difference between revenge porn and other types of uh, image-based sexual abuse, like that, may or may not be considered revenge porn because it has to do with like the motivations of the perpetrator Mm -hmm. and like what their intent is and like the context of that relationship with the victim. Um, Because sometimes 
perpetrators of image-based sexual abuse, they're not doing it out of well, quote unquote revenge. Like they're doing it to get some kind of entertainment out of it. Like they're not trying to actually intimidate or harass the victim. They're doing it to be like, hey, look who I slept with or look at my conquest. Um, and so they're not necessarily doing it to try to like shame or humiliate or control the victim. Or maybe they're like selling the images because they want the money or something. Um, so that's what I would, you know, what we're considering as separate from revenge porn and another type of image-based sexual abuse. Although I would also consider um, just because it's exploitative that it, it, in the context of an intimate relationship, it would still be considered revenge porn. It's just not out of revenge necessarily, but it is exploitative. Another, for sure. another point for not calling it revenge porn. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, oh shoot. Okay. So um, I'm, entirely relying on my notes for this because like I said before it is a rabbit hole and if you are a podcaster you need an outline folks (laughs) (laughs) podcasting tips from Brittany so typical scenarios oh but before we get into that I do want to say though that like with these websites you know like with the non-images maybe the perpetrator just shares it to that, but then other people share those images to other websites, which makes it extremely hard to get these, to get any kind of justice for the victim. Um, Because these images are spread all over the internet. They're shared on like Pornhub and YouPorn and all of these other websites. Um, So not only are they trying to get them removed from the original website, they're also trying to, the victim is trying to also get them removed from all these other websites. And oftentimes it's impossible. Um, So typical scenarios in which um, we might see revenge porn are the current partner um, has obtained either consensually or non-consensually explicit pictures or video of the victim and tells the victim that it will be shared online or with friends or family if the victim does not do what they are told or tries to leave the relationship. And this is, I think, what we have, what we see sometimes, you know, in our clients um, is it's used as a tool to control the victim when they're still in the relationship. Um, Another situation is after a breakup or after they break up, you know, break off contact, maybe they weren't even in a real, you know, like a committed relationship to begin with, Um, The perpetrator texts friends or family explicit media of the victim or shares the media online. So like they may not have even have threatened to do that when they were still talking to the victim, but they do it after, you know, the relationship ends or whatever, like they kind of take it upon themselves to try to humiliate um, the victim. And Brittany, I have also sometimes seen a combo situation Where if after a relationship ends, especially if it was abusive, um, that partner still tries to hang, hold that over, over the victim's head. Like they're not in a relationship anymore. And six months after they may have had no contact and all of a sudden they're texting perpetrators texting like, Hey, I still got these pictures. Like just a reminder, Mm -hmm. I'm always going to be in charge. Always. Yep. Yeah. 
which is just a prime example of how abuse oftentimes does not end after the relationship Mm -hmm. ends. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk a little bit about the impact on victims. And so I think that there's the obvious, like kind of embarrassment and humiliation of somebody else seeing you in a very physically and emotionally exposed moment that you did not consent to this. Um, But then there's also ongoing harassment by the general public, oftentimes, especially when these, you know, treasure hunters um, online have found out who they are and how to contact them. They will start harassing the victim um, through phone calls, emails, social media. Um, They'll start tagging them, you know, on social media, stuff like that. They get letters and stuff. So there's stalking involved from complete strangers then there can be family embarrassment, especially if your family has seen the photos. Some, a lot of the times the perpetrator will intentionally target, especially the family um, to see those photos because they know that's like emotionally devastating. That can be emotionally devastating. Um, but then in addition to all that stuff, especially when it's posted on these online websites with their name, then there can also be financial and job loss and in the future difficulty finding jobs. Because as we all know, if you've been looking for jobs in this day and age, a lot of jobs will just do a Google name search of you. And if your name is associated with these um, explicit photos online, then that could pop up in in a word search, an online search, and then potential employers would A, see those photos potentially. Number two, they would think, oh, I can't hire somebody who's engaged in this type of behavior, even though you're the victim, even though this person is the victim. So those are some very real impacts that victims have seen. Yeah. And I, I know you're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, but I think another thing too, is this pressure of silence um ideally right you'd want to get some sort of justice from law enforcement maybe report it but that comes with its own barriers as well and we'll just touch briefly on that now because I know we're going to get into it but can you imagine reporting and having those officers have to look through all of those videos or pictures and and yeah whoa yeah it's like it's almost like you know you're damned if you do and damned if you don't yeah and that's if officers even believe you or, you know, decide to give you their time because sometimes they just laugh it off Mm -hmm. and say, well, you've learned your lesson. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. There's like, there's a lot, I've, I've heard this firsthand where there can be a lot of, uh, judgment of, well, you were the one that took the pictures. Like, didn't you know that this was a possibility that this could happen? Cause of course, none of us has ever taken a picture that we didn't want on the internet right? Like, Mm. of course. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's sad. Um, so now before we get into some like kind of more in-depth examples of what this looks like in the real world, um, I'm going to just briefly differentiate between revenge porn and other types of image-based sexual abuse. So like I mentioned, revenge porn is usually has a specific type of motivation to, um, control or harm or humiliate the victim. So that's kind of the main differentiation between that and other types of image-based sexual abuse, because other than that, it can look 
extremely similar to revenge porn as far as what actually happens. Um, the only difference is again, that, um, you know, that context of being in some kind of, um, intimate or dating or flirting relationship. Um, so other types of image-based sexual abuse might be motivated by, um, financial gain. So like selling media to gain financially, there's something called sexploitation, which is blackmailing a stranger for financial or sexual reasons. Um, sexploitation can also be a part of revenge porn, um, because, um, I mean, basically using that, you know, you know, the, that kind of media, sexual media to control somebody like threatening, like, I'm going to release this, like, that's a form of blackmail basically, but it's just not, may not be for financial reasons, but it's kind of exploitation. And then, like I mentioned before, um, somebody might share this stuff on media to boost their own self-esteem, like they're bragging or something. Um, so now we're going to go through some examples and I'm going to let Livy take that away. Yeah, absolutely. Brittany has done a really good job of breaking down what exactly this might be, what all of the pieces are, how to dif- differentiate what revenge porn is versus other types of abuse. And so let's see what this will look like, right? Let's put all of these pieces together to create a narrative of what this might look like. So this first example comes from Thorn, and I will just share it with you. In 2009, in Georgia, U.S., when she was 18, she broke up with her boyfriend. They had one last, last night of drinking together, and she blacked out. Four years later, after starting a new relationship and a YouTube channel in support of LGBTQ youth, a video of her ex raping her unconscious body surfaced on the internet, complete with her identifying information. She didn't know that she had been raped that night. In 2013, at the time, there was no U.S., federal, or Georgia laws criminalizing revenge porn, and there weren't any laws against it in the U.K., where the perpetrator lived and uploaded the videos. The videos quickly garnered tens tens of thousands of views and were shared to more than 35 pornographic websites. Because the first law criminalizing revenge porn didn't pass in the UK until 2015, she couldn't seek justice against the perpetrator through the criminal justice system. Her only recourse is to file a civil lawsuit to get copyright ownership of the videos, because legally, he owns the videos since he filmed them. In 2018, she won the civil case against her ex, which has set a legal precedent. That's crazy. I know. And it's, it's so crazy because it was like years later. And I remember when, um, I was reading that article about that, the perpetrator had said something like about his motivation for doing that was because she had a successful YouTube channel and he felt that, you know, her viewers should know who she really was. Like that was in quotes. Yeah, really was somebody who was sexually assaulted by a psycho. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. Everyone should know that. That's so upsetting that I have many questions about this. So it's very upsetting that her only recourse, her only option towards justice was for a lawsuit for copyright. That's disgusting to me, number one. And number two, did anyone watch that video? It was clear that she was passed out, I assume, and say like, wow, this is 
evidence of sexual assault. Like, let's charge the sexual assault because this is clear evidence of that. Forget the revenge porn. Like, you raped her. Yeah, it's video of a crime. Yeah, what's that about? I have no clue. And I wonder, I mean, this might be extra complicated because he, um, I mean, it seems like it was in Georgia, in the state of Georgia. So it was a crime that occurred in the U.S., but he was physically in the U.K. at this point after when he uploaded the video. So I don't know if they just couldn't charge him because of that, like they might've thought that it wasn't worth it. Maybe the statute of limitations passed in Georgia by that point. <sighs> I but like yeah, that. I mean, I don't like that, that seems, yeah, I don't like that either. Oh gosh. Okay. Yeah. Here's another example and- of what this could look like. Okay. So this person, um, is it okay if we say their names? Yeah. So these were all articles that I found online and a lot of them, their names have already been changed. Okay. Or they are like outspoken activists. Gotcha. Okay. So we'll call this person Martin, whether that's their name or not. But this is Martin's story. So his wife was emotionally abusive. And while in the process of getting a divorce, she posted several nudes of him on Facebook and sent them in an email to all of his family members, his friends, and his employees. Since then, she used the nude photos as blackmail to have him give her the rights to their home and their shared business. So this poor guy, he lost the home. He lost this shared business that he helped build from nothing. And at least at the point where this, um, when this article came out, he was like living back, living at home with his parents and was just trying to put his life back together. Wow. Wow. Okay. The next example, Tiana. Tiana's angry ex-partner posts a private image of Tiana on social media. Tiana's face is not in the picture, and Tiana is not identified by name, but the comment on the image reads, this girl goes to Roseville Tech, and she'll go out with anybody. Here's so it's basically example. just inviting stalkers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Posing as Bridget, Bridget's ex-partner posts a private image of Bridget on Craigslist with her home address, stating that she wants to have sex with strangers. Okay, another question. So. I know. I, I don't even know where to begin with this. So say a person does just go to her house and initiate unwanted sexual contact, some sort of sexual assault occurs, and say a criminal proceeding does begin. Does her ex-partner have a role in that? Is he an accomplice? Is he, like... I don't know, and I think I have, I think I have actually heard of something before. Maybe it's like a one of those Craigslist myths. I don't know if you've ever heard of those, where an ex-boyfriend does something similar, but instead of saying that she wants to have sex with strangers, he says like he's posting at, so he's posting as, you know, Bridget in this mythical scenario, legendary, I should say, and says that they have a rape fantasy Mm -hmm. and to just show up. And despite her struggles to continue with it. 
I've heard this story as well, and I don't know if it is real or if it's just something that's circulating on the internet, but I have heard that as well. So I think, I don't know, I would think, I'm not, you know, we're not lawyers, but I think something like that might be more of a clear, clear case of like the ex-boyfriend having like a, you know, criminal liability for something like that. But then again, they would have to prove that it wasn't the victim that actually posted it. And I think that might be tricky too. Um, Heaven forbid they post it from the victim's phone or computer, then you can't even trace an IP address. Yeah, that's a whole, yeah. And we know perpetrators can be uh, sneaky like that. Yep, pretty crafty. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's scary. Like that's potentially somebody physically showing up at your home. I mean, can you imagine like somebody just like coming to your door right now and being like, hey, I'm here to have sex with you. Yeah. Yeah. That is especially in context, like that would be a terrible doorbell situation anyway. But in context with everything else that's going on and what I would assume would be a pretty unhealthy relationship mm-hmm. to begin with. And maybe there are threats in, of this to hey, this is just really complicated. So. So this is happening to people, right? People are experiencing this. And like I mentioned, in an ideal world, they feel comfortable to report to police and they would feel great about getting justice, but it's not always that simple, right? Oh, boy, is it not that simple. So what, like, what are some of the things that stand in the way of victims coming forward and getting justice and having their lives go back to the way they, they were. So like we mentioned briefly before, I mean, just reporting this or even talking to anybody about it can seem like it's just bringing more attention to it, Um, which technically it is bringing attention to it. Right. But like the more people you tell about it, the more people are potentially going to look at these photos Um, And then there's, you know, that fear, that very real and justifiable, justified fear of being dismissed by law enforcement or even being called names by law enforcement or ridiculed. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, for minors, you know, for individuals, you know, under 18 who are dealing with this there's the very real possibility that the victim may actually be charged with the crime themselves mm-hmm. instead of the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. And so this is what's known as criminalizing teen sexuality, which is charging teens with child pornography crimes when they take the pictures themselves. Um, so let's talk a little bit about teen sexting. <laughs> um, 25% of teens sext. And that's according to a study that was done the last couple of years. Um, now let's look at the average age of new registered sex offenders, which again, this was a study done the last couple of years. The average age of new registered sex offenders is 14 years old. What? 14 years old. Oh my. That... <sighs> shocking i don't even know what to say to that as sexual assault advocates that kind of hurts our feelings (laughs) it does because we work with people who are experiencing very real violence by very real people that 
very frequently are above the age of eight of 14. Mm -hmm. And so this makes me feel like there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Yeah. And I'm sure that there's many reasons for that statistic, you know, as far as like actual perpetrators perpetrating sex abuse and sexual violence. Um, but a slice of that pie is teens that are charged because they took their own sexually explicit pictures. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I don't have a statistic on that, on how often or on how many minors were charged with a crime like that. And I'd really like to see more data on that, but I, I, I would too hard and I couldn't find anything that is very interesting I would love to see how much of that average of 14 year old sex offenders what the breakdown of their crimes might have been yeah yeah and I think that I mean there needs I personally believe there needs to be an exception to those federal child pornography laws because right now they make no exception for self-produced images not even for a specific minor age group. So a teen that takes their own sexually explicit photo can face felony charges, prison time, compulsory registration as sex offenders just for taking a picture of their own body. Which is upsetting to me. Okay, I am. I think there are probably more teenage nudes in the world than there should be. That's what I'm going to say. That's kind of my opinion about that. However, I also know the extreme pressure within teen culture to share nudes. It is extremely common. I have a teenage sister and that's a very common part of our conversation is who asked you for nudes this week and what did like, are you good? Like that sucks. Um, and I know that's a really, really common thing within teenage culture right now through the Snapchat era. That's just the way that goes. And so with the pressure being extreme and not understanding the context, and I wonder how many teenagers understand that they could go, they could undergo felony charges. Um, I don't know. I just don't know if there's a huge connect as to what consequences there might be. Now, Wow, I am really digging myself a hole here. Now, let's throw in teen dating violence and people that might not feel empowered or in control enough to say, no, thanks, I'm not going to send you a picture of my naked body because I'm afraid that you might actually kill me. Yeah, there's a lot of just like regular, I'm going to say regular peer pressure mm -hmm. as a teen and then layer on top of that somebody who's actually abusive. Yep, yep. And it can be extremely difficult to say no. And so, I mean, the teen themselves might not, might not know about, you know, these child pornography laws and that they could be charged. But I mean, a lot of the times the parents do. And I mean, just learning about it myself, like if we had a client, like, I feel like we would have to have that discussion you know, at least with the parents of the minor about the, you know, what could potentially happen if they do report something like this, you know, if their kid is a victim of, um, of revenge porn, 
you know, like we'd have to have that conversation with them. And um, because technically anywhere in the United States, our own community included, like a minor could be charged with that if they, if they were the ones that took the picture. That being said, a lot of the times law enforcement will, you know, try to find some way to get justice for the victim instead of charging them. So it's kind of at the discretion of the attorney's office and the, you know, the prosecution. Um, I mean, like, you know, different jurisdictions will sometimes make exceptions for breaking the law. Like if a minor is drinking or something, like they don't want certain things to be barriers to reporting crimes. Which I think can be a strength and a weakness. And Mm -hmm. I say that living in Wyoming, where we have some jurisdictions and counties that do really well at prioritizing the needs of a victim. And then we also live in Wyoming, where there are really, really uh, rural, small communities that have done things the same way for about a billion years. And that's the way they view things as well from about a billion years ago. And so while it's a strength for some communities like ours, where our law enforcement tries really hard to prioritize the needs of the victim in our county, not every community is that lucky. And is that fair? No, it's not. Yeah. And that's why we always recommend speaking with a local advocate because the local advocate will know mm-hmm. way better than anybody, you know, way better than we do what that local environment, law enforcement environment is like and whether, you know, maybe it is or it is or it isn't safe, you know, right. to report to law enforcement over there. Right. We've had a bunch of conversations about that with people from all across the state and Colorado as well. Um, trying to figure out the best, safest way to get the support and the help and the justice you need, because that looks a little bit different everywhere you go. Yeah. So speaking of, you know, ways that, you know, our systems can help, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about a little bit about the progress that our society has made towards preventing this as well as getting justice for victims. So in 2015, Reddit banned the posting of sexually explicit content without the consent of those depicted. Um, Twitter did the same thing. They also added that they would immediately remove any link to a photo, video, digital image of you in a state of nudity or engaged in any act of sexual content that is posted without consent. Um, so from what I am, I'm understanding, if you have been a victim of this on Reddit or Twitter, you can just contact those uh, administrators and they will remove that content immediately. Google and Microsoft search engines will remove links to revenge porn upon request. Both have online forms for victims to complete to remove these links. So that if somebody Google searches your name, or your picture or something, um, then those re- those revenge porn images and links won't pop up. And we have actually done this with clients. And we've done this on, I think, a handful of different sites. And some of them are super easy to work with, which is awesome. Some of them like were super nice and really great. But there are also some very real challenges in this as well, because 
even let's say this is Instagram, okay? Instagram takes down the the photos and deletes that user, blocks that user. They're like, nah, we're not doing this anymore. It's really, really easy to make a new account and post the same photo again. So it's kind of like whack-a-mole at times where it can, it's great that these um, social media platforms are like, yep, let's get it down. Let's get it taken care of. But it can be really difficult to have it stay down at times. So, yeah. And, and I think the thing is, is that right now it's not against the law is the problem. There's no federal law in the United States. And we're going to talk more about image-based sexual abuse laws in the episode where we go further into image-based sexual abuse in general. But for now, just know that 48, 46 states and uh, District of Columbia and an additional territory in the United States now have laws making revenge porn illegal. Wyoming is not one of those states. Big surprise. I know (laughs) there was a new piece of legislation that was recently introduced, um, you know, that would make revenge porn illegal. The, you know, the type of um, punishment or the level of the crime is different depending on the state as well as the situation. Um, And again, we will talk more about other laws that could help in the image-based sexual abuse um, episode. but there are recourses. And if, you know, you think that you have been a victim of this, we highly recommend you reach out to your local advocate. And um, there are legal resources that can help. Um, There are, you know, financial resources that can help pay for lawyers. Um, There's free or sliding scale legal aid to help with this. Um, I... I'm struggling. I'm I'm having a dialogue in my head right now, and I just think I'll say it out loud so I can Brittany can stop my spinning. But I think it's astounding that there isn't federal laws. I know that I mentioned this t- mentioned that to you earlier, Brittany. And I think that that's upsetting to me to begin with. But then at the same time, I guess for some places that could be a strength because if you have a federal law, you have to get it approved by everyone. Everyone has to agree that this is the common standard of revenge porn, etc. Whereas that might look different in, I don't know, what's a very progressive state? Like California versus Alabama. Yes, that could look very different in California versus Alabama. So California and Alabama would have to agree on the terms of what is revenge porn and what is a crime. So I guess that can be helpful for the people that live in California. However, while we're making state laws, that's really tricky because back to what I was saying about Wyoming and having some communities that were really good at this and supportive and some that really weren't, then that translates to the whole state as well. So in California, you might be doing really well with revenge porn laws and really supportive of victims and Alabama's laws could be nothing. And I don't know, I don't know about California or Alabama's laws. I'm just speaking generally. So I think there are pros and cons to that. And that's tricky for me to wrap my head around. Well, and I think the other issue too is this law, like laws against revenge porn, it's controversial for a lot of people because they see it as an infringement upon free speech. Mm. And which is a constitutional 
Right. And so to some extent, not trying to make it a federal law, like not pushing that really hard kind of means that there's a little bit less um, intense scrutiny, mm-hmm. scrutiny, mm-hmm. scrutiny, scrutiny. <laughs> um, <laughs> And it's not challenged as hard. I mean, already in a lot of, in some of these states that do have laws, it's already been challenged as violating the constitution. Um, And in those cases, you know, those challenges were struck down, um, but it would be a much bigger discussion if it went to like the Supreme Court or something like that. So this is a good time for us to ask if there are any lawyers or lobbyists out there that would like to explain this to me before I rip my hair out. Thank you. Please come on my podcast because otherwise I'm going to lose a lot of sleep over this. (laughs) It would be really great if, you know, a lawyer would just want to like volunteer to be our go-to, you know, we can pick their brain about this stuff. We'll just have them on speed dial for whenever we're podcasting to be like, okay, here's another question. We, we ran into another issue. <laughs> what is that game show where you can like phone have your one phone call? You phone a friend. <laughs> yeah, phone a friend. This would be phone a lawyer. Yeah, phone a lawyer. Yeah. If you want to be the lawyer for the phone a lawyer segment on the tip of the iceberg podcast, we are now accepting applications. And I I do want to end this episode with kind of a piece of hope, Mm -hmm. okay, for anybody who wants to be a part of fighting revenge porn. um, It's kind of like the other side of that active participation that we talked about earlier, um, you know, with the creepy treasure hunt. Um, (laughs) So there's something called the Badass Army. And it's www.badassarmy.org. It was founded in 2017 and it supports and advocates for victims of revenge porn. And basically it's a group of people who employ guerrilla tactics on the internet to fight the spread of intimate images and send out a warning to all the trolls hiding behind. And I'm going <laughs> to anonymity, 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 anonymity sorry way too difficult um so what what the group does is they infiltrate revenge porn forums and fills them with noise to distort the conversation i Um, love that so it teaches women well like i don't know if it's just women or what but it teaches people how to reverse image search to find the original source of the images bury threads and send out takedown notices backed by digital media laws oh my gosh that is so cool Yeah, I want to be a part of the badass army. Yes. Okay. So for any of you that missed it, I'll just say it again. It's www.badassarmy.org. So if you're interested in that, take a peek. And if you are a person that needs to speak with an advocate about anything, right? But on theme of today's episode about maybe some pictures of you that are on the internet or being threatened or whatever that looks like for you, please give us a call and we can help you strategize and figure out how to get peace and justice. At least do our best to help with that. And you can reach us at 307-745-3556. And don't worry if you are not in Albany County, Wyoming. We can get you connected with wherever you need to be to speak to an advocate about what's happening in your community.
and I'm going to go because I'm going to go to badassarmy.org right now. <laughs> and you all are too. You're recruiting all of us. That's it. 